Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice, Dice in, in My Mind. It's always fun to start these recordings right uh, after we finish a conversation that has us to the point where we are laughing and it's hard to stop. So I don't know what uh, you're talking about. Yeah, I know. So this is about uh, this is probably the third time we attempted to start this. It is the third um, time. Yeah. So tonight um, we'll, we're going to talk a bit about um, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Jace, because I want to make sure I do this correctly. But talking about leadership. Obviously, we've had we've had prior discussions about leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, we're taking it a step further this week and focusing on um, the ideal of um, humbleness, humility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sticking. To, you know, and, I, and now I'm going off. I'm going off off script here a little bit. Um, you know, humbleness, humility. You know, ethics, empathy, everything like that in leadership. I have my opinions on it. Um, we have Aaron back with us. Aaron and Jason and I have talked about this many times. Jason and I have had a lot of conversations about this. Um, and as I talk, just as a preface, because then I want to get to a, uh, Aaron's going to read a quote, and then we'll, this will be a good jumping off point for us. You know, as I t- talk about conversations, none of this is about um, my current job or any specific past job. This is my general ter- general experience working in this. So I just want to make mm-hmm. sure that I am not impugning any one organization or anything like that. Cause I'm not doing that. Right. You so, want to make sure to impugn them all. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do a blanket everybody at once. So I know there's right. one person, Tony listens to this and one of the, Tony is one of the guys that I worked with prior. So Tony, if you're listening to this, this has absolutely everything to do with you. So there it is. That yeah. way to way to open up a humble leadership discussion. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so as we move into the conversation, um, you know, Aaron, you have a quote you'd like to read because I think that would be a great way to kind of kickstart it if you don't yeah. mind. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Brett. And uh, really, really glad and excited to be back. Uh, on this sure, you, sure you are. Sure you are. How much is Jason paying you? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Go, I'll, no, we'll get serious. We'll get serious. Well, the the so this quote uh, it actually comes from from Anson Mount, and he plays Captain Christopher Pike, the newest uh, iteration of Star Trek and Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. But um, when I saw it, and when he spoke about his character, um, it really, really spoke to me, and I ended up showing it to Jason. Because I think it really encapsulates what we're going for in this whole topic of humility and leadership. And, you know, I think we'll get into this in the discussion, too. But it's just it's not those are two phrases that aren't often associated together with each other. And so uh, Anson Mount goes to say here, I just love our writer's instinct to make Pike really the first captain we've seen who has the ability to turn to his crew and go. I have no idea what's going on. Does anybody have any idea? Best idea wins. Go. If Pike had a superpower, it would be turning that bridge crew into a big brain. And, and it's so just, good. Yeah. Yeah. It. it uh, but I think he's right, though. Yeah. It just it, it's that that's at least in the genre of Star Trek. That is truly something I think that we haven't seen from a leader. Um, and, no. And, you know, it, uh, just to provide attribution, I think that's from his recent interview with Collider. Is that right? 
I believe so. Okay. So um, I will just call this out. Oh, he figured it out. Okay. Speak yeah. Of it, Brad. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> muted. Um, I was, I was come. Never mind. Um, it's now I'll be quite honest with you. I hadn't heard that until you read it. Until you read it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and my first inclination is again, in generalized terms, um, the idea of utilizing the skill sets of the folks you have under you. And let's assume that these are folks that you tasked with it. You know, you Mm -hmm. interviewed, you hired them, you have given them the responsibility to do the best at what they do within the concept, within the context of their expertise. Mm -hmm. It would be silly not to utilize Mm -hmm. those strengths. And honestly, um, that does not always happen. And we'll get in, we'll get into it. I don't, this is not my way to, this is not my place to hijack it. And it's because of, in many cases, what I have found, it's because of ego. Without question. Um, It's, it's ego. And, and I'll be honest, when I was younger, um, Jason, I've talked about this. I'm not necessarily, I am, I'm still learning on being a leader, but I, when I was younger, I felt that being a leader meant that I had to make those decisions and I had to be the one to come up with the solution versus a leader leading by utilizing the skill set. You may be ultimately the person that has to make that choice. Right. But what I have learned is if I don't utilize the people that I've hired or that Mm -hmm. were hired before me that I've, that are on my team, then I'm not doing my job versus making the decision on my own. When Mm -hmm. that really means I'm not doing my job. I'm not empowering others. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely, as you said, Brad, you and I have talked about this offline I mean, a lot these past couple of years. Um, I think, okay, so let, 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 let me, let me let Aaron and I provide a little context for those who are just joining, you know, Dyson Mind, who haven't necessarily heard some of the, the previous episodes. I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to them, uh, be a deer, as it were, and go back and listen to uh, our first two, Aaron, how many times have you been on? Is it just the once or is it? This, this is my third time. Yeah, that's what I thought. You're our second, uh, our second trifecta, which is awesome. Um, although this is obviously a little different because we're going so deep on some of these concepts. So if you haven't listened to the first two, it would, it would make sense to listen to them. Get you, um, we'd get you, we'd get you a smoking jacket, Aaron, but you know, Jason and I now, and. Uh, it's um, already been spoken for by Jim. So, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Maybe, maybe next time. Yeah. Is that, so, is that when you join the five timers? Club? That's exactly right. That's, that's exactly right. Um, but, but in all seriousness, so Aaron, you and I have been talking about and writing about leadership as demonstrated in Trek for, for a while now. And it started uh, with an initial article on star trek.com in terms of the the grand captains and different approaches to leadership it then manifested with a second article that second article uh well the first article came out on picard day in 2021 the second article came out just this past picard day in 2022 which was pretty sweet but there we focus specifically on pike on captain pike and um and how he and Strange New Worlds as a show are demonstrating such beautiful writing around leadership for a much more diverse, 
enlightened, idic-based society. But as you and I have been writing this stuff, and by way of update, um, you know, we quite some time ago we submitted months and months ago we submitted the full draft of our book manuscript to our editor, and as of this recording, um, literally any day now we're expecting peer review feedback uh, for the final the final draft, which is due in January. And um, and because we've been immersed in that, but also because we've then been waiting for a while for that feedback, um, you know, you and I have been riffing off of these ideas with leadership and Trek, and I think we've been equally wowed by Pike. And well, just like the the quotation you read from Anson Mount, the writing around this captain is different. And what has come to mind is this notion that you brought up, Brad, in the opening of, of humble leadership, this notion of leading without putting yourself first or, or in front of others. And there's a lot more to say about that, but I think that's a good, that's a good start there. Um, there are some things that are worth calling out in the next little while as we record, uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll bat it back over to Aaron now for I don't know, wherever you want to go with it. Well, let me, let me ask, let me ask Aaron this then. Yeah. So um, in the context of you looking at leadership and looking at the grand captains um, in Star Trek history, you know, within the Star Trek universe, um, Jason, you kind of mentioned it, but I think it's worth digging down just a little bit because I think it then broadens the topic is, you know, what do you see as different about um, Christopher Pike that may, that is different from Jean-Luc Picard, Catherine Janeway, Ben Sisko, um, et cetera? Yeah, well, he, um, it's, it's, it's funny because uh, there's been some talk that he somewhat uh, even in this new iteration in Strange New World is that it, perhaps he resembles a little bit like, dare we say, uh, Captain Kirk. Um, but but it's, it's, that would be doing it a true disservice to the character because I think what is, what's different about him is kind of as he encapsulated my quote is that he's, Pike is not afraid. I think Anson Mount does a beautiful job of, of letting this come forward in a really organic way. Pike is not afraid to be vulnerable in a situation um, and, and, and be transparent about that with his crew. And, and, um, and while we get taste of that in other captains, I think from some of the other genres, I think that Pike truly just embraces um, and somewhat the, the natural humanistic side of leadership that is bound to happen to every leader at some point. And maybe situations are different if there was that kind of transparency with the people around you, um, still, still instilling them with confidence that there's, um, you know, that there's, there's going to be a solution, but it's going to probably just take more than just me to find it. So, I want to, I want to come back. I want to pick up on something you just said, Aaron, you said humanistic, right. A humanistic aspect to this. And, and like you and I have talked about this a, a whole bunch, obviously, but, and, and a, a lot in terms of a, a, an upcoming project, but, um, I mean, what you're talking about for everybody here is is leadership infused with the best of humanistic psychology, right? This notion that that people often strive 
to evolve as individuals, not in terms of success, not in terms of power as individuals, to become more, more fully functional, as Rogers would have said. And and in this regard, leaders, I think we'd agree, we'd all agree, the three of us have an obligation to do that. And I want to call it something that 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 Aaron, otherwise known as Dr. Aaron Peterson, has taught me about Pike um, and has really altered my thinking about the character and about future future projects. Um, and, and Brad, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you or not, but one of the things, Aaron, that you called out in terms of Pike was that he leads from the table, not just from the chair, from the chair. This notion that ooh, ooh. that he's oh. break that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I so want to quote 1990s rap right now, but I won't for everyone's sake. Uh, I'll just say, oh, oh, oh. Um, so now that that's out of my system. Uh, now that we are all dumber for having heard that. Right. Well, look, uh, it's good that our audience couldn't see Aaron doing what I have to assume was dancing, but I'm not sure. The right stuff. <laughs> Baby. Yes. Um, so oh, it's new kids on the block. That wasn't right. Oh, oh, that doesn't count. Oh, no, no. No, sorry. We will just we'll stop before we have to censor ourselves. But to, to but seriously, to break that down, okay, to elaborate on this, because Aaron, you you can say more about this. I just want to open it for you here. You said to me, you were at one point like, you know what's so cool about Pike is he's not just a captain in the chair on the bridge, but he has a fully functioning kitchen in his ridiculously large quarters, and and beautifully. He then hosts his crew over time in this in this largely informal setting so that he can get to know them and hear from them. Yeah, and I think that Janeway also did a a good job of of because of their situation being in it, you know, yeah. light years away from where they were supposed to be because of how Voyager starts. That crew also kind of had a very familial aspect to it as well, but but Pike, I think, is unique in the sense that, yeah, he he very much, it appears, feels comfortable in his quarters, but he feels comfortable only when he's hosting uh, his bridge crew, people that are invited. He he likes to uh, make people feel welcome uh, that mm-hmm. are on the enterprise. And I think that, you know, if it's if it's a testament to what every captain's quarters kind of looks like, and I think um, as the series has gone on from the 60s original series when there was a, a limited budget, you know, I think that they've tried to incorporate more of, of the captain's, you know, uh, taste and things into their yeah. personal quarters. It has yeah. definitely come to full fruition in seeing just the, um, and taking in visually um, all the different artifacts and everything that makes up that space. And it's, it's truly a, it's an inviting space and you can tell it's a place that Christopher Pike likes to entertain. And so I think that that's where he develops those relationships, mm-hmm. not just on the bridge, giving orders from the chair. And and I think, I think it's, it's a lot more than that too, because he's not just building relationship, which is crucial. He's not just, just making himself available, communicating well, which is crucial, but he's, he's actively listening to his team. I mean, I think I think this goes back to the very first thing you said for this episode, Brad, uh, about about having a team who supports you and and 
training and trusting that team to do their job so that you can do your job better as the individual in leadership. And that's a, it's, you know, I did my, I am, I'm, I'm not a scholar like you both are. Um, but when I did my master's thesis, I did it on um, the idea of groupthink within the context of right. um, corporate scandal. And I focused on Enron, which is yeah. the energy company that exactly. collapsed upon itself like a house of cards back in 2001. Yeah. And so this is where, this is, this is something that's fascinated me for now two decades. And it was always something that I thought if I ever went back and, and went for um, a doctorate, I would want to get into that more. There are a couple institutes within schools around the country that have studied this and I've looked at it. I'm going to, I'm going to read something real quick because then I want to um, get your take on it. Um, and hopefully it's, it's scholarly enough. It's something that came from the Harvard Business Review. Um, it's an article from 2018. We'll put it in the show notes. It's written by, um, it's led by Andrew Wynn and some of the other staff. So I'm going to read it verbatim. In 2016, John Stumpf, the CEO of Wells Fargo at the time, was called before Congress to explain a massive scandal. For more than four hours, he fielded a range of questions about why the bank, which had over $1.8 billion in assets, had created 2 million false accounts. Yeah. And after well, the fraud was discovered, he fired 5,300 employees as a way of redirecting the blame. The recordings of the hearing are a shocking but illustrative case study of how leaders are at risk be, of being corrupted by power. And I'll, yeah. I'll, we can put the article, there's a whole other paragraph on it, because his he, um, even though the actions, he seemed incapable of acknowledging their pain, he apologized, but didn't seem remorseful. Um, so I'm going to turn it on its head here. And here's a person that whether or not he used his, the hive mind of the people that mm -hmm. worked for him or not, um, had a lack of compassion. Um, I would argue a lack of an ethical compass. Yeah. And as a result, um, he didn't understand it even, you know, he had no comprehension of what the fuss was about to paraphrase the yeah. article. So, you know, flipping on its head, we talk about Pike, you know, Pike will, and correct me if I'm wrong here, gentlemen, um, he, I'm using the term hive mind, but you know the context of what I mean. He's using the mind, the, the hive mind of all the individuals that he has for him. He's making the decision. He'll own the decision, um, but he's using mm -hmm. the resources he has to do it. Here's someone who either didn't or ignored them yeah. and made obviously a ethically questionable and absolutely awful decision that affected 5,300 some people without empathy or compassion for them. And, you know, again, you both, you know, are, are, you know, have degrees and things and I, and, and I don't in that realm. Um, to me, that is someone who has let power trump or greed I've mm -hmm. always said greed, greed for power, greed for whatever, trump any ability for them to show compassion as a leader. And there's another article we'll put out there from the Harvard Business Review about compa compassionate leadership, which is something that I've been advocating for years. Yeah, you have. So, um, and we'll get to that later. But the point is, is that here is, I think this is the exact opposite of what you're saying. Here's someone yeah, who- Yeah, it is. It, it is. It's, I mean, let's, so let's look at, and I don't mean this in, um, in a clinical or Freudian way. Let's look at the psychodynamics of that type of situation. So the 
the pressures and changes, the push and pull psychologically. Um, and it's interesting because whether it's ancient tradition, especially ancient wisdom traditions from the East, or whether it's the cutting edge recent psychological science, um, it it teach or, or even the old school psychotherapy, it all points in the same direction. So this issue with Enron, uh, well, boy, this issue with Wells Fargo, I mean, my God, it, it's, it's kind of unassailable, but so, okay. So let's, let's, let's look at this as kind of a, a triune issue of a three-part issue. So I think people are, humans are automatically prone to have ego needs, right? We we develop when we're kids, when we're adolescents, maybe sometimes later, we develop a sense of identity. Um, well, look at me when you're saying that. Yeah, I know. I heard it was laughing. Okay. I, I, I off the record. No, yeah. but, but we, you know, we, we develop a sense of identity and then a great deal of psychological effort, mostly largely subconscious, unintentional, just automatic goes into defending that, to maintaining that, uh, to maintaining the sense of whom we are as we see, or actually, if we want to be, if we want to look at the research, um, maybe the strongest or certainly one of the strongest influences of our sense of identity is how we perceive others perceive us. Research tells us that, right, you're both nodding, right? It, it, it makes uncanny sense when you think about it. Uh, people go out of their way to reify their perceptions of what they believe other per people perceive them to be. So if 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 you if if I think that you all think that I'm this way, I will automatically, effortlessly, subconsciously go out of my way to make it so. That's that's how we well, work. Well, let let me, and then I want Aaron. I want to get your take on it too, but. Just as a from a practical anecdotal perspective, I can tell you, and maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm twisting what you're saying in a way. When I was younger, probably. and even and even probably, but even as I've gotten older, I've always been a person who has tried to read who the people are that I work for, mm -hmm. um, and who work for me. That never tends to work. Um, you know, when you try to make that read. So if I were reporting to Aaron, I would try to read his personality and in some ways find a way to match my work ethic and my, my productivity and how I produce to what they want. And, and along with that, ultimately what happens is, is and I'm, I know I didn't start the way you were talking. Mm -hmm. um, I have found myself doing that because I have tried to build myself at the beginning mm -hmm. to match what Aaron wants mm -hmm. too much. Well, I, I think that's exactly on point. I mean, what we're talking about is anxiety, right? We're not talking clinical anxiety. We're talking anxiety. The ego, the sense of self is an inherently fragile thing, especially in the modern world, especially in modern life. And so it's only it's only natural, unfortunately, it's only automatic that we maintain a sense of anxiety. And how do we how do we try to quell that? Right. We we try to meet the needs that we perceive to be out there in our social environment. So, you know, like your example, we try to align ourselves with what we think we're supposed to do, whom we think we're supposed to be. And then 
a corollary to that is like, again, going back to your example, Brad, with Wells Fargo and, and the CEO, um, anxiety is a huge piece. And so is the related concept of attachment. We become attached to our titles. We become attached to our prestige. We become, you know, greed is fundamentally just attachment to power, money, uh, whatever it is, the accolades that are out there, and they are sadly reciprocally reinforcing. We get worried or anxious about where we are. We get attached to what we have or perceive we have. We get anxious about losing what we have and on and on and on. And the output of that, and then I'll stop, the output of that is people engage in all of these defense mechanisms and some of them are more advanced than others but but like your example with wells fargo what's a really common effective one projection well i have an issue inside right my bad but i can't handle that psychologically so instead i project it like an old projector onto a screen i see my own angst i see my own screw up in the people around me right i can then not to be sloppy here with the terms, but I can then displace my anxiety onto others and I can go to bed fine because, right, because it's the little people's problem. Well, and maybe to really, really oversimplify what you're saying because the psychology part is your background, Jason, but uh, to do another 90s reference besides hip hop, uh, didn't Jim Carrey actually say in the movie The Mask, he was talking about the masks we wear, but really he was referring to, I think in a sense, we all kind of do that because we're expected to play a certain role depending on who we're with. And I think that that is a little bit of what you're driving at there as far as why we have to be a different person to different groups. Um, you know, a, a, a lot bit, yeah. And then yeah. we have, and then we come back to Pike. Who's who doesn't this, do that. Who doesn't do that. And and see, okay, so let's go back again to something you said earlier, Brad. So well, let me, let me, oh, let yeah. me just quote something because, and then come back to it because I want to also talk a bit about this, because I think this is, again, I'm, I'm quoting this Harvard Business Review article, because this one really resonated with me. A couple is of that years really back. a credible source? I'm, yeah. I'm just asking. <laughs> yeah. okay. I don't think enough people read it, but um, much like I think, and this is why I think, and I've told you both this, this is why I think a book like yours is important. They did a survey, there was a survey done of a thousand leaders, 91% of them some com said compassion is very important for leadership. 80% would like to enhance their compassion, but don't know how. There it is. Yeah, I think, I, and, I mean, because when are you ever, when are any of us ever taught this? When are any, and, and, and not to make compassion some foofy, sparkly thing, right? Just basic human decency, decency. Of, of looking out, um, Okay, so I, I apologize. This is a little, I don't mean this to be self-reflective or self-serving, but so uh, it, right, it's as we're recording this, it's the episode will drop in a, in a few weeks, a couple of weeks, but uh, school for all of our kids, you know, it's just started up in the past weeks, give or take. And so for my girls in high school, they've been coming home with the permission slips Right. And then asking for fees for labs, whether it's engineering or bio or woodworking or whatever they've got between the two of them. And especially in our in our metropolitan district, there's invariably a box for check if you've submitted, if you're enclosing the fee. It's always like just, you know, 10 bucks. And then check if you're enclosing to cover another family. Brad, you and I talked about this really recently offline. And um and 
every time it, it, every time we've done this this the, these past weeks i've just said to the girls here's here's more money check this box and they're like why and and this i bring this up because i think it's a leadership lesson and one that i was taught that with opportunity with fortune comes responsibility right? That's just basic compassion, just recognizing that you're not the only one on the planet. You don't have to go around hugging people. You don't have to make friends. I personally don't like making friends that much. It's amazing either of you are here right now, to be honest, but that's not necessary. Well, we're podcast partners. We're not necessarily friends. Let's be Fair honest. Fair enough. Touche. <laughs> but no, no, let me ask you both. And, and let me start with Aaron too, because I think um, I have found that if you exhibit that type of behavior, humility, empathy, compassion, those are the three terms that I tend to use when we have this conversation, um, that, and I'm using this term in the context of being um, gender inclusive, you have to be the, if you're the alpha dog at an organization, if you are the, the be all and end all, um, that's a sign of weakness. Um, to do that, to show that, that means that you aren't, and, and again, I'm being anecdotal um, from personal experience and my own research and study. Um, if you do show those behaviors, um, the bigger the corporation, it's harder to do um, because there's more people. Two, if you do that, then you are showing a weakness, meaning that you are putting profit and success of the company above you're you're putting other people's feelings and needs above the success of the company and that's never successful that's what that, that's what i have found to be conventional wisdom out there yeah and i think that i think that there's a lot of truth to that because i think there's a lot of people that have probably experienced that um whether in the private sector or in any uh, form of industry but i think that and i think again is what the, the, the backdrop that we're using here, well, what Pike demonstrates is that, you know, they're gallivanting all across the galaxy and, and consistently saving the universe one episode at a time. But I think what he's demonstrating there too is that um, by taking the time to uh, leverage your relationships, building trust, um, investing in people, I think that what's really being demonstrated is, is, you can still be transparent and put yourself in a vulnerable place um, and actually achieve better results than maybe what you could have done if you, you know, either decided to mitigate situations or um, outright you know, uh, deny facts, things that whatever needed, what, what you thought needed to be done in certain situations. So I think that um, it's almost um, contrary thinking what could be seen as a sign of weakness actually could yield positive and even better results. I, would, I think is a way to put that. What do you think, Chase? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that's really well said. I completely agree. I think, I think Pike's one of the ways that Pike demonstrates truly humble leadership is he shows us that strength and compassion to your, to your point, Brad, strength and compassion do not exist on a continuum. I know this took me decades to learn. I wrestled with mm -hmm. figuring this out really candidly, really across my twenties into thirties, 
because it didn't feel right. I knew I was missing something. I couldn't figure out the simple metaphor. And then here's Pike, right? Strength and compassion do not exist on a continuum. They each are complementary continua of their own. Like literally, if I mean, if we really want to dork out, not that I've ever done that before for this for this podcast on Dyson Mind, but imagine, you know, the old school uh, you know, TOS or or Strange New Worlds sliders for the transporter. You know, you've got the three sliders. Well, just imagine two sliders. One of those is strength and one of those is compassion. And I think a key to humble leadership that Pike demonstrates better than any other captain that we've seen in canon is a really gifted leader, a truly humbly gifted leader has those two factors both simultaneously turned way up. One can lead and have exceptionally high expectations, and one can lead at the same time and leave no one behind. It is possible to take Pike's approach and be both a hard ass and someone who always has the door open and people respond simultaneously to both of those. And he just does it beautifully as a character. I think that last part of what you just said right there, Jason, is that you, you, uh, I think you answered the other piece of uh, Brad's original question there is that it's Sorry, not, that was an accident. Well, but it worked out beautifully though, because uh, going back to that piece is you're right. Um, that's also how you can, how you can still lead with compassion and still be alpha if we want to call it something like that, or at least have the, uh, the imagery of that is that Pike still holds people accountable. I mean, there's, there's still accountability there and he doesn't, he doesn't relent on that. Um, and so again, there's that, that, that perfect balance that he demonstrates um, for whatever the situation calls for. I, when I was, when I was doing my studies, I latched on to, because I focused my, my, concentrations if you will my mba were in management and finance Man, um, management was more self-serving than anything but um just because i knew i had weaknesses so i wanted to take the opportunity to see if i could grow and um you're probably familiar with this i'm not advocating this as a be-all end-all theory and jason and i have talked about this i finished my degree 10 years of 12 years ago and i'm still talking about oh my god <laughs> david mcclellan you know david yep, mcclellan's yep. theory of motivation and um, he talks about three dominant motivators, achievement, affiliation, and power. Yeah, achievement is the need to, you know, accomplishments, kudos, wins, you know, the concept of wins. You'll see a lot of people talk about, I need a win today. You'll hear that a lot. You know, I want to finish something. I want that endorphin rush. Affiliation wants belonging, wants to be liked, um, doesn't want to make enemies, doesn't want to cross, you know, anyone or cause any sort of friction. And then power, obviously what it is, control, leadership, yeah. likes to win, likes yeah. to win, you know, and in effect be an authority. And the studies were that the air quote best leaders. So if we go back to Jack Welsh at GE and going forward, they had high power and high achievement needs but low affiliation. And in summary, that means they wanted the power and authority. They liked the wins, but they didn't necessarily need to be liked to do it. That's an oversimplification of it. And I think that's the model that you see a lot of in leaders today. Well, whether it's, theory, they are it's theory X thinking from back yeah. in the day. 
Right. It's it's literally it's literally from from big companies down to small. And again, this 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 theory pre-existed long before I did the studies on it back in 2007, 2008, 2009. Um, <clears throat> but the only reason I've clung, I've clinged to that is I've used that as a means of finding. I always talk about finding a person's fuel. So the people on my team. Um, I work at home. A lot of people, obviously, we, a lot of us worked, most of us worked at home during the pandemic. So we had to learn to deal with it. My, I always say my commute down, my commute to my office, which is down a flight of stairs could be the longest part of my day. If I'm, if I'm yeah. not motivated. So what's the motivator for folks? What's their fuel? And that drives it. And I think the problem is, is that people get so ingrained in their own greed that they don't think, and Erica, Aaron, I think you mentioned this about empowering others and and raising others and lifting others up. And I'm paraphrasing you. You probably didn't use that exact terminology, but it resonated with me. People are afraid to do that. Ultimately, they're afraid of being replaced. And as such, I think that's another reason that people are afraid of showing compassion and empathy as leaders. Not only will it show weakness but it may in their own mind open holes that would allow someone else who doesn't exhibit those to sneak in and shoo them out or force them out. So it's always this competition that's going on and you can see it watch. If you watch, I'm not a fan to watch the business networks, but again, if you read the articles you can, and read the news, you can see how these leaders that are the well-known ones talk as if they're always looking behind their back. Anxiety and attachment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's missing. And I think this is why I think, uh, and you know, I don't, you know, I have not, and I want this to be, I want everyone to be clear with this. That's listening, all five of you, um, that um, I haven't read the book. We've talked about it. We've talked about it in the context of, I haven't done any drafts and everything like that. We've talked, I've offered just my experience, just anecdotally based off of what you've talked about. Mm -hmm. But this idea of trying, and I've told you, Jason, I've told you this and Aaron, I think you have as well. Um, this type of training on how to still be an effective leader and a successful leader without the need to stomp on people mm -hmm. um, is something that's sorely lacking. And I think it's even, it's gotten worse during and after the pandemic. And I would argue yeah, it has I a lot so. to, I would argue, and we don't have to go into this now, I'd argue that it has to do with some it, it, politics plays into that. And I'll leave you with this comment and then I got to shut up because I'm not the one being interviewed, but kind um, of. Um, there is a documentary out there called Enron, the smartest guys in the room came out around 2003 um, produced by, if I recall correctly, one of Mark Cuban's companies. And one of the Enron energy traders was talking about trying to raise above and be the cream of the crop. And he says, you know, if I can get another five points on my commission by stepping on someone's neck to do it, I'm going to stomp on their neck. And he actually used some profanity in there to do it because that gave him the attention, the prestige the obviously greed, the financial gain. And he talks about this. He contexts this. He's not proud of what he did. He's just talking about the culture that existed there because that was the epitome of a lack of compassionate culture. Um, and so I get back to it. 
is that there is a real need for this type of training and it will take time. And my hope is that, is that whether it's your material or whether it becomes a, a tsunami, hopefully of education, um, that the next generation, cause ours is lost from this. I'm sorry to say we're, we're a lost cause. It's just not going to, we're not going to see a critical mass of that with Gen X. Um, Aaron, I think you might be a millennial. So we'll just say you're screwed to my, my language. Now we have the explicit marker, um, but Gen Z where our kids are or whatever they're calling it, Gen one or whatever the case is. Um, I hope they have an opportunity to better themselves and do a better job than what prior generations have done. Wow. I yeah. tried more yeah, than Jason I, on that. I, well, I was, I was, yeah, that which is really hard to do. I was, yeah. I, I, I'll just say, I'll just say, Yes. Oh, and I think I think it's now Gen Z followed by Gen Alpha. I don't know where I saw that, but I just there's saw that actually the other now day. a Gen Alpha. I believe we started over because we've run out of letters. Okay. Uh, yeah, look, I you can't wow. make this stuff up. Well, apparently no, you can, but but that's what that's what people are doing. No, look, I mean, I I agree with you. I think I think Aaron and I both do. It just uh, you know, as you kept saying, uh, Aaron, to bring it back to Pike. Um, it's it it's a model that can be emulated or at least considered seriously. We we live in such a society of competition, um, you know, greed and whatnot. Those are symptoms. Those aren't causes. Uh, you know, this whole notion of keeping up with the Joneses, which has been around since before any of us have been here, but. I suspect is worse now. And, you know, I'll just maybe add this observation that I think it's so easy for an individual to slip into the mindset of, I need to do more next. Uh, I, and you know, I'd like to consider myself fairly well-developed at this point. I mean, I put a lot of time into thinking about this stuff. Uh, a lot of time. And yet I know whenever I have any kind of success, even a modest success, automatically, there's still that question in the back of my mind of, okay, now what? Let me, and, let me ask you. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, was let me gonna, ask you. Well, just, just, just to finish that. Yeah. Um, I think now what can be unhealthy and now what can be healthy. And, and this matters for leaders because whatever we're doing as leaders is how we implicitly model to everyone else who follows us. And I think we can say, now what? And it can be, okay, I need more, right? Bigger, better, faster, whatever. Or it can be, now what? Which isn't a question of accomplishment or, or productivity, but a question of meaning of, okay, I've done this thing. I've achieved this thing, whatever it is, big or little. Uh, what's the next thing that would be interesting and provide me meaning? And for whatever it's worth, I have learned that even if I can't explain why or how that works, if I actively issue this question of now what am I supposed to do next? There, I know, I know I'm rambling, but you know, that's just how it is. Um, <clears throat> I mean, this is literally what I do for a living. So sorry, but but, no, 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 um, no. I, we, yeah. I joke with you both, but you know full well that this stuff fascinates me to well, listen and to. I, and, and I'm sorry. So this is a, a this is a self yeah. selfish, yeah. self-serving episode in many ways because I just I love hearing about this stuff. 
It's my problem is that this is not just a major personal interest and has been since I was a preteen. It's also some of what I teach and it's also at the core of all of my research. So it's like, as soon as I open my mouth, you're just stuck. Let me, let me ask you both this. Cause let me get back to Pike now that I've diatribed yeah. on it in watching the episodes as, and especially hearing you both talk, obviously it goes without saying he leads differently than the other Grand Captains have. It's unique to the Trek universe in terms of the series. Yeah. Do you, how do you think, was that a conscious, and I know I'm asking this from a uh, area of ignorance. Was this a conscious decision by the producers to move him in that direction and to prov- and have his character be that way? And why do you think, and this may be conjecture, why do you think that is? Aaron, you and I have talked a lot of, I, I have no idea. What do you think? What's your best guess? I, let's see. I really set you guys up. I'm sorry. It was, it's. No, because we've, we've talked a ton about this. No, and, and I'm just going to be, because um, I, 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 uh, I missed some. So, so Brad, just, just ask it again. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'll, uh, I, I overwinded it. Um, what is the mean Pike, air velocity? Pike, oh, I'm sorry. Wrong yeah, question. No, no, no. Do you want me to go into the theory that you brought up when we were up? No, keep going. Read it okay. Right. Um, Christopher Pike, different type of captain than the others. Do you think that was a conscious decision to, to, to have him as the character the way he is by the producers or by the writers? And do you have any thoughts? And again, this is anecdotal, guys. Sure. Do you, do you, what do you think? Why do you think that might be, if so? Well, I think one of the premises of, of Star Trek that was there from the very beginning that I think Gene Roddenberry always tried to instill is that he was constantly striving for this, you know, um, creating this universe that was better than what we currently had. And so that has kind of fundamentally been in every iteration. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've utilized current events to try and make almost life lessons out of them to, for the betterment of humanity. And I think what was unique about Pike is that we really only had, you know, we, we only had, um, we only had one episode essentially of who Christopher Pike was from the original series. And it was ended up being the failed pilot of the show. And then, you know, uh, James T Kirk became the new captain in the re but now, now there was this opportunity to give him this whole backstory of who Christopher Pike is. And I think in doing that, it allowed the creators a whole lot of freedom to kind of figure out what that would be. But I think they did want to try to create a character that obviously when you have this many grand captains by this point, there's going to be some similarities, but I think mm-hmm. they were trying to say, okay, we, we've got an opportunity here is somewhat of a blank canvas of, what, what are the pieces of this Pike character that's kind of there that we can put in and, and what do we want to make him be in the whole uh, Trek universe here? And I, so I think that there was some intentionality behind us. How can we make him unique, you know, as far as how he cemented his place and why was in, in canon, why was his name revered? Was it, it can just be because of the actual accomplishments he did, but was there something more than that, that uh, his crew, um, you know, kind of, uh, revered him in that way so that's that's my take on it oh as we as we wrap up here i want to say so and i say that and i've told jason this and aaron you may or may not have heard this um i am anxious to read this and it isn't because i know the two gentlemen 
on the other side. No, it really isn't. Um, there's plenty of stuff that Jason's written that I've never had any interest in reading. And it's a fact, most of what all Jason's of the written, stuff that yeah, Jason's written. Yeah, I've written, I've really never had, had never had any interest in reading. Um, this get in line, my friend. Get in line. <laughs> this humor aside, that's not true, but two, um, this is an area that's been a personal passion for a long time because I have just seen too much happen that is negative. And I've had personal stuff happen that's negative. And honestly, when I, you know, I can't say I've always been the best leader and I've probably done things that have hurt others because of it over time. That's just a growth area for me. And I can't say that I'm, I'm there now. Um, but I think this is an important book. And if I can, if I know this is a little off topic from what Dyson Mind is originally intended, but I think this is a topic, whether you are a leader or not, and I've said this before, you don't, you know, I'm a director of services. That title, when I email customers and everything like that, I don't put my title because um, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, I don't get, I'm at an age now where it just, you know, I've been given authority based off of my title, but I'm not to toot a horn. And why I bring that up is that all of us on this, the three of us and all of you who are listening are leaders. You may not have a title at a job. You may not be um, a position where you have people reporting to you. You could be a project manager and not have direct reports, but have matrix um, subordinates. You could be someone on a help desk or in a call center but are looked upon as an example. You may not be looked upon as an example yet, but you very well could be at some point. So don't dismiss this as I don't have a manager, director, or VP or president or CEO title. This doesn't necessarily apply to me. I don't know how this will help me. Um, I would vehemently disagree with that because you might be a leader at your, um, you know, where you worship for faith. You might be a leader. You are a leader in your house as a parent. Um, you are a leader if you are in a parental group and potentially setting examples for other parents with their kids. So while we talk about leadership here, um, look beyond just a professional title and look most, beyond. You know, go most ahead. leadership is informal, not formal. Yes. And, and that's the thing is, is that when I would provide or I would send people to leadership training, yes, I would send my direct reports, my managers and all that, but I'd also send people who have shown an interest in it and who have shown skills that they may not say, they may say, I don't want to be a manager, but they may not necessarily know that yet. And if, even if they don't, being an example as parents, being an example for our kids, being an example for others, you're a leader that way. So a leader with a lowercase L versus an uppercase L. So I thank you both for doing this. And again, I don't say that because I know you. I say it because it's apparent to me over the past couple of decades that we have moved further and further away from it. And it's time we need to start reevaluating ourselves because, and again, this is where I, we could have a problem politically is we aren't the power that we used to be. We, there is more competition on this planet for us. And we have to make ourselves unique to yeah. be, to differentiate ourselves and make sure that this is a 
place that is better for our kids than the, than how we've left it. And I'll be honest with you, I'm, we're not, I'm, I don't think we're doing that right now. Doesn't seem like it. I think this so, is the kind of thing that has motivated, or that this is the kind of thinking that has motivated you and me, Aaron, with yep. a lot of these projects. Yeah, yep. and I and I and I would say to keep going with it because this is one of those things where one book and one article are just the start. They're just the start, mm-hmm. and 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 I think you've both said this as well. I hope others, whether they're doing it already, and or whether they take what you've done when it comes out and then move it forward um, is important. And as you can tell, I get, I get passionate about this because again, I've just, I live in this world every day, you know, and I don't mean just at my own company. I live in this world with dealing with other organizations Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I do see, I want to say, I do see this in companies. It isn't completely absent. It's just not prevalent enough. Right. I think that was the other you know, besides seeing how things are, Jason, as being one of the uh, things that has spurred us on. But I think what you just said there too, Brett, is that we uh, we believe in the accessibility of it. People having right. a seat at the table and in any kind of capacity, um, that's also the passion behind it too, is that, um, you know, we want it to be something that people can see themselves in too. And I think you both said this. I know yeah, we're, well said. I'm, I'm wrapping this up long, but you're writing this in the context of, well, it's my fault. Um, yes, it can be used as a, as a text, as a resource in teaching this. Yep. Um, but it also is written in, is being written so that it can be used outside of that environment as well. Am I right? Yeah. Corporate, corporate training, executive training that absolutely. But then also our goal is to write it where it's, accessible to a much more general public, right? So that, I mean, the goal is that, and when this comes out, anyone with an interest can pick it up, read, enjoy it, as well as learn from it. But then it goes deep enough that you could you could absolutely use it for trainings. I mean, that's our plan. Well, not, not to do the trainings, but yeah. And maybe it's a quick blurb, Jason, maybe this is the natural time to say, kind of where we are right now in it and kind of the expectation going forward as far as, you know, you want to say kind of, uh, well, what you mean like asking are. people to send us cat? No, uh, uh, timeline wise. I don't know um, where that was going, but yeah, yeah, I was, I, I was like, I think I know where he's going, but that's not so humble. No, I don't know where no. Jason, not Aaron, I, know. I know, I know where Aaron, uh, is. I, uh, I mean, we, you know, we, you know, I mean, the, the reality is like you, you and I, Aaron, we're, this is, this is a first book for either of us. Definitely not the last. Um, sure. And so, so we're learning the process. Like I can, I can tell you how it works to submit an article to an academic journal. But the book world and the, the specifically the nonfiction academic press book world. No, sorry, I, I get that response a lot when I use those words together. But but the reality, it's just different. It's a unique kind of animal. And so our understanding to this point is uh like that, was, said a earlier, fake, that was a fake that was snore, a fake right? snore yes okay. yes everyone's okay. feeling fine right okay um i thought that was fairly clear because people would have already been sleeping by the time it, i finished that yeah it probably wasn't clear and it may have sounded like something else so let's just move on ah brad 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 so hmm. um uh you know we are um we are awaiting peer review which is great and then our final 
manuscript is due mid-January. And, you know, the publishing process is kind of slow. And like, I mean, Brad, you and I have talked about this with how many authors on the podcast that uh, thanks to the pandemic and its supply chain issues, it's anybody's guess. So our editor has not given us any like finite target for when it will come out. But uh, my read of the tea leaves, and like Aaron and I have talked a lot about this, my read of the tea leaves is that we're probably talking just conservatively Q3 or Q4 of 2023. I think that's that's realistic. That's not far away, gents. I mean, let's be honest with you. When we talked last earlier in the year, it seemed like it. But time has moved very fast. And um, I mean, yes, it's a year away. But I'd argue... I always argue that the end of the year speeds up mm-hmm. and, you know, in my mind, and it, it it's going to be sooner rather than later. And um, I, I want to make sure I told, I've said this before. I want a, a signed copy by Aaron Chase. I don't give a, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I, you know, I get enough of, I have to listen to him enough. I'd rather read it yeah. and have Aaron. That's fair. Yeah. So, but no, thank you. want you, it Jeff. to be worth something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but no jokes aside. Um, thank you both. I want to, I, I want to, I talked more on this one than I really had wanted to, and hopefully we didn't get too far off topic, but um, come January, when you submit the final draft, I think we need to, uh, come back on here and just talk without giving away too much of the book, but I'd be more interested in kind of some of the lessons learned that you have about yeah, the research. Yeah. You, and you know, both. some of the lessons learned about your research and in all honesty, from a tactical, because we've talked about this lessons learned from the process of writing this mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The yeah, process itself, as yeah. well as the material and what you've learned yourselves about being leaders. Uh, as we move over to the GM corner, um, Aaron was hemming and hawing a little bit because he didn't necessarily know what he had on his desk. So we're going to put him on the spot right now. Um, so GM corner, I think we started this actually with Jim. Normally, I think we're going to start doing this when they have guests and say, okay. So put him on the we, spot. Yeah, we're going to put him on the spot, even though he kind of knew this was coming. What? Um, it doesn't have to virtual desk. In other words, could be something you're watching. Jim, when we had Jim Johnson on, he was talking about some some historical uh, video shows he's been watching. Could yep. be something on your desk reading. It could be something you're writing. It could be something you're playing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what's so better way of saying it? What's kind of taken up your time outside of, you know, like like recreationally, if you will. yeah, recreationally, if you if you have something. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I mean, they're they're both. I mean, they're both mobile based games but um so i don't know if that counts but yes um, it counts. I, mm-hmm. I talked about one before so i won't do that again but um the other one that i've done probably pretty religiously for six years um in tandem with this other one and i think it's it's fitting to what we've just been talking about but it is it is the game star trek timelines and it's it's uh it's kind of an R- rpg based game adventure based game with some ship battles in it and things like that um but it it's also a, a character collection type game of building up attributes and things like that. And I got Jason into it. Um, what? A few, a few years back. I have but, it. Okay. Yeah. But, okay. but, but he, I couldn't keep him in it, even with some of the, and so uh, I even had him in my fleet. I mean, he's still in my fleet. I still reserve the space for him, but he's, he's not much of a participant, you know? And so Such it's, a loser. Um, yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, 
even some of the fleet mates have have asked me who is this person is sender and, and why don't know. what's he doing so yeah. but, the ghost uh, the ghost captain yeah so that's that that's what i'm doing right now <laughs> but it's yeah, it's fun and Jake's i think it's more so for anything sorry i, I just did okay because of the it's more I like a lot of these games is because of the community. Sometimes the content isn't even that oh. good, but it's, it's, it's yeah. the, it's the people that have been in my fleet since, you know, the inception of it. And, you know, you find out little things about them in, in you, know, they, you, you become almost like friends and you never knew these people. You've never met them in person, you know, but it's, 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 uh, so I think that's kind of the, the interesting and fun dynamic of it. And, you know, we do little check-ins every once in a while and stuff too. And so it's, it's, um, mm-hmm. that's what keeps me coming back. So it, it's yeah. interesting you mentioned that because um it obviously existed before the pandemic. Yeah. Um but it wasn't as prevalent, I would argue, or as I don't even want to say as accepted. I think it's become even more of the norm, this idea of gaming as a social connection. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And just like what what Aaron, you were talking about with making these connections, you know, almost potentially friends with folks. Um, because of the time spent online. And obviously, since we all spent a ton of time online for the better part of 18 months, 2020 into 2020 part two, um, I find that all fascinating. This would be another great discussion to have at some point as well. And and it's whether it's a mobile game, whether it's a PC game or whether it's on the tabletop. Yeah. Yeah, when, when, when people knew that, you know, when people know that you're going to be in a certain spot at a certain time, it's something to get excited about, you know, and it's, it's something you can kind of plan around so that it uh, becomes part of your day. So hmm. that's cool. Dr. Dr. Kaufman, what about you? Um, uh, well, so uh, I, I've, I've had this little, this little project for the past day or so. Um, obviously we just had our two-part interview with Jim Johnson of Star Trek Adventures over with Modiphius. And we talked a little bit about the Utopia Planitia Starfleet source book. Uh, but of course it's still only out in PDF and we're not going to have hard copies in our hands for, for a while. And so after we had those conversations, I thought, started thinking, you know, I, I was sort of, I, you know, I like to have the physical book in my hands and I was sort of waiting for the book to come in, in the next months. But now that we know from Jim, it's not going to come soon. I thought, oh, I need to just give myself the treat, the permission of reading through the PDF really carefully, but I don't want to do that on the computer or just on the phone. And uh, so uh, we have iPads everywhere around this house um, between One's from work, and then my wife won one, and then the girls have them. But so a few of them have just been sitting in the living room, like uncharged for months. And so I charged one up, and there's an email to you, by the way, on this note. I need your help, Brad, with something. But okay. I charged it. Um, I charged it up overnight, and I started. Uh, I, I have. I my girls were using these iPads, so I kind of isolated them from logins and whatnot. Not my girls, but the iPads. And so I just have this kind of standalone iPad that uh, this iPad mini where I've been moving over PDFs of all of my source books and rule books just for fun, kind of because I 
it's the only way I can read the Starfleet source book. So, so to conclude that, then that that's what I've been working on. I've I'm I'm short, uh, two of them. Uh, a special thanks to uh the people at Evil Hat who, because of their website migration, uh, sent me within half a day the link to the PDF of a book I had purchased that had gone missing. Um, and so I've just been loading that little iPad mini with all of these source books and, uh, and like tonight and this week and weekend, um, I plan to go through the Starfleet source book and just enjoy it. How about you, Mr. Brown? What, uh, I don't what have, are you on? I, um, really just for me, it's, it's kind of continued. I've been, um, busy online, um, reading other material online material, not necessarily like yeah. published books. Um, a lot of right. stuff that's been self-published and written. Um, mm -hmm. You know, at some point I've been keeping notes and I've been keeping a list of those things. Someday I wouldn't mind going through those. And then you and I talking about it, maybe giving Wait some people their due. Um, but other than that, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's really been it for me. So it's been a kind of a busy week. So I don't have as much on my plate and I have a lot, I have a lot that's there still. I really want to get back into talking about Dune and talking about the one yeah. ring. So oh, big time, the one ring. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks as always for being with us, for sticking with us through this long and winding, if not at times meandering episode. But I mean, you can tell the three of us really are invested in this this concept and these concepts, the importance of leadership, the potential of humble leadership. Um, we, we have opportunities and obligations to make the world a better place and how lovely that Star Trek and some of our, our other favorite canons can help facilitate that process. Um, as always, be well, stay well. We will see you next week for a big change. 